0: Welcome to the Localization Fireside Chat. I'm Robin Ayoub, your host. Join me for captivating conversations with industry leaders exploring localization, translation, and global communication. Ignite your curiosity as we expand your horizons through these conversations. So let's dive in together into the Localization Fireside Chat. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Localization Fireside Chat. Uh, channel podcast. Um, my name is Robin Ayoub. I am the founder of the channel. And today we are having an exciting conversation about uh, global recruiting. Uh, we have a panel, an exciting panel with us uh, to debate the topic from uh, both perspective, the uh, recruiter and the user of the recruiting services. And I'm honored to have with me Sarah Zales hunt and Matt Grostein, and Paula McGrath. And I'll let the uh, panel introduce themselves and it started with Sarah and Paula next and Matt after. Sarah, would you mind?
1: Yeah, hi, um, my name is Sarah Rosales-Hunt and I manage localization at Perceptix, which is an employee listing company. I came there via Humu, which was uh, a recent acquisition by Perseptics. I was also leading localization at Humu.
0: Thank you, Rosales. Uh, Sarah, where, where are you located? Sarah, just for the audience. Uh...
1: Oh yeah, I'm in Oakland in the Bay Area.
0: Nice to meet you, nice to see you face to face, Paula.
1: Hi, I'm Paula McGrath. I own
2: and run International Achievers Group. We have our head office headquarters in Dublin, the Republic of Ireland, and we have team members based around the globe. So, we are recruitment solutions. That's us.
0: Nice to see you, Paula, again. You. Matt, you want to go next? To I'm, you?
3: Matt. I'm Matt Grotenstein. I lead an LSP and multilingual data analytics company called Boston AI. I'm obviously here in Massachusetts, a few miles outside of the city. I've been in the localization industry for about 16 years now, both on the LSP side and on the buyer side, and I've both been recruited and used the services of recruiters, so I look forward to the conversation.
0: Absolutely. So speaking of that, and to get right into the subject for our discussion, I will start with Sarah. If you don't mind, Sarah, just from your perspective, when the topic of recruiting, outside recruiting, comes up, what are the things that comes to your mind from, A, opportunity, challenges, needs, assessment of overall assessment? uh, How do you view this topic of recruiting on your side?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I don't have a ton of experience working with recruiters to find resources and talent to work with. I wish I had more because I think that they would be great. Help. Um, I have a lot of experience trying to find people on my own, and that was really challenging. It's hard to qualify candidates when you're just kind mm. of looking in the dark in the haystack. But I have had the experience of being working with a recruiter to get a job. One of my first jobs on the client side in localization was with a recruiter, and I found that what really made a difference was people who took the time to understand localization. If they're not like a specific localization recruiter like Paula is, the the Knowing what it was is like the reason that I responded to their initial email and initial call was because they took the time to understand what localization was and what the job it would entail. I'd had some other experiences where I got kind of cold calls that were clearly they didn't understand what was what the job was, and those were not as interesting to me to respond to.
0: So, from your perspective, Vera, if you don't mind elaborating a little bit on this, you, you you've had an experience of recruiting, which brings us to the internal top internal recruiting. And also being a candidate, perhaps, for a recruiting agency, which helped you place you in a in a job. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. So what was your experience when it comes to internal recruiting? As I heard you mentioning needle in the haystack. Would you mind elaborating a little bit on that one?
1: Yeah. When I was at, at Humu, we... Worked exclusively with freelance translators, so I was trying to find freelancers to work with, and not having a pool myself and having to just kind of go on LinkedIn and search and post job offers and then go through a bunch of resumes and cover letters. It was just really tricky to know, just as one person without the background in recruiting,
3: who Mm -hmm. was a good
1: candidate. And I found that people that I you know thought might be a really great candidate then didn't do well on our translation test or vice versa. So it just it just I don't know. Show me that was like really tricky, and I wished I had known a lot more. And I'm glad there are professionals who know what they're doing.
0: Absolutely. And and uh, Paula and I talked about it. Uh, this topic, the risk associated with hiring the wrong candidate, and etc. So I that to you may have had that experience as well. <laughs> you have that experience as well.
1: Yeah, it's definitely. Sorry, I mean, to interrupt you, but yeah, that just spoke to me that yeah, it uh, causes a lot of issues if you get the wrong person and have to handle that then later on and kind of start back.
0: Absolutely, Paula. From your perspective, I know we've talked about this before. If you don't mind, uh, where are we now when it comes to that entire global recruiting? I hear a lot of talent shortage, talent shortage, which you know I see it as a question mark because I also hear you know mm-hmm. people are reskilling, retooling. People are losing the jobs for other things for you know because you know the jobs are changing and we're not training fast enough what's this status now what is the status for recruiting globally from your perspective
2: I think that the the terminology talent shortage is probably a misnomer I think there's a matching shortage at the moment and to be fair to everybody involved I don't know that anybody is ready right now to completely identify what every match should be because there's such an there's such a change coming it's been coming for the last 18 months and I'm actually just post lock world in Silicon Valley and it was this area was covered intensively. And I mean, there's there's all sorts of comments made regularly about, oh, if companies paid more, or if they offered more better terms and conditions, it's actually never only about that. I mean, that stuff matters, but it's tertiary to uh, clarity around matching what's needed for the job, and yes, the skills that are out there. And it is challenging for job seekers to know what to study next, where to study, what to you know, how to upskill, where to upskill. It's actually also challenging for hiring companies to commit a budget to staff and new team members that they're not certain are going to be 100% relevant in 12 months' time because they suddenly discover their competitors are running off in a different direction. So I don't personally don't think there's a skills shortage, I think there's a matching shortage, but I can understand why there's a matching shortage from both the job seekers and the employer's perspective.
0: Oh, excellent. Uh, And, you know, which brings me to the next topic, I guess, is there, when we say matching issues in terms of skills, in terms of what we're looking for as employers and employee, are we referring to, you know, the lack of understanding what we're looking for uh, on both sides? There's no clarity?
2: No, I, I I'm not seeing that. Now others well, maybe, but I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing more a, a fear that companies that are hiring are nervous to completely put their finger on the type of person or the skill set that they need because they know mm-hmm. everything is changing very quickly. And there's got I mean the the change has you know in the last I said to you, the last eighteen months. You can see the whole AI, AI, AI. And then there was a poll taken at one of the one of the discussions in the Lock World over the, the Lock World sessions. And they asked the audience to identify how quickly they thought things were going to settle down in this whole AI world. And most of the audience thought that within the next 12 months, things will have been pinned down more clearly. But in the next two to three years. <laughs> It will. there will be quite a substantial change. So if you're a company that's trying to commit a budget and do your planning, it's, it's, it's not that people are being vague. I think people are just a little nervous to commit part of their budget to something that they don't they really know what they're going to need.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely correct because a lot of changes coming on a technology front, which is combined with the economic uh, conditions that the world and the globe is going through right now, I think it's creating some uncertainty on various things. Budget, are we committing to budget, and how long are we going to commit to budget, plus the entire industry. not This is nothing new, this point that I'm trying to make here, is that the entire industry has been led to believe in a very short-term gains uh, versus that long-term investment that you need to make in people, in markets, etc., to realize those gains. I was talking to an individual last uh, week, you know, I mean, you, talk, you look at companies that they build their companies to become $140 million companies without naming anybody, and it took them 24 years to get there. Now I'm hearing people wants to get to $150 million in like overnight, impossibility in our industry. So not maybe there is a possibility there for somebody to tell me like, I'm going to buy six, six companies, I'm going to put them together, and they're going to be $150 million. But I'm specifically sp- speaking about organic growth in mm-hmm. this case. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So moving to Matt on the topic, though, Matt, you you by the, the introduction and by our previous conversation, you're starting a new company, Boston AI, etc. From that perspective, from your perspective of starting a new initiative in the localization world and the data analytics data uh, in general, what are your views on recruiting? How what's your recruiting strategy right now? You're on mute, by the way, Matt.
3: Of course, I am. Kids in the background. I can give you my, my strategy, my recruiting strategy now, and I can give you my recruiting strategy in the past. It, it's, it's evolved, but I tend to agree with Paula that there's a matching problem and that you need a guide. Now, I would use, I would certainly use, once we start staffing up, once we start scaling, and, and that'll come, I would certainly use the services of a recruiter. I've used a recruiter in the past because I've been, as I would be now, Asked to hire for multiple positions that I may or may not have similar skill sets for. I've been asked to hire for ops folks, for solutions architects, for salespeople, for account management people. I would need to hire for those same people now. I would need to hire for those same profiles now. And I don't necessarily, I've never been in an ops position. I've never been a solutions architect. So having someone who can help match folks from a skills perspective is pretty interesting to me. Also from a, I think we put up walls as as individuals put up walls, and it's not that easy to just go out and say, I'm looking for this person to the world and get dozens of of resumes back and then weed through those resumes and try and figure out who the best candidate is to have a guide through that. I think for me is important and, and for me is worth uh, the value worth the cost of having a recruiter. And then also from a process perspective, you know how many candidates I've lost because of, or, I, or I've had colleagues who have lost because of pure poor process um, in hiring someone. When you've got someone on the hook who you're really interested in, it's a good match, but you're not managing the process correctly. A, a recruiter can really help you manage that process. And I think those are the, those are the assets and the skills that I've seen and 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 would value and use in the future, and do use.
0: Absolutely. And one thing, moving on to Sarah, I guess. Thanks, Matt, for this. The one thing that we probably, and I would love to get Sarah's opinion on this one because she's you know working in a company that uses those types of services or put could potentially use those types of services in the future. Uh, have you ever dealt, Sarah, with a sort of like a Cost benefit analysis, internal versus external, and have you thought about that? And if you did, what would be your view on on you know from a financial perspective? Because everybody is in charge of budgets nowadays, in charge of cost and monitoring them very closely. What would be your view from a financial perspective, internal versus external? And by the way, you're on mute.
1: Yeah, I have never done the analysis uh, specifically. Sorry, money. Cat is wanting to join, but yeah, I've never done the an analysis specifically, but I mean, I just know that it would save time and money for <laughs> were to use a recruiter because I, it takes me it every, every time I needed to try to find a new, sorry, <laughs> my <cat. laughs> yeah, every time I needed to find a new member of the team, it took a lot of time for me to kind of remember how to do all the steps every single time, you know, what I needed, what I wanted. To get out of the process, and it was just—it was like doing something new every single time. Whereas, it would be if somebody could come in and already know what they're doing. I'm sure they could do it in probably a third of the time that it took me. Um, I'm
0: assuming, Sarah. I'm assuming because you know the company that you work for, Perceptics, is a software company. My understanding, and your core competency is software. Of course, you do localization, and you're managing the localization process for the company, but it's different from working in a localization company where their main focus is localization. I'm assuming those two are a little bit different because when a localization company is, you know, 100% dedicated to the localization services versus a department inside of a software company, I'm assuming there's differences in the way we treat these things. Am I correct?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think it it makes it, pretty challenging because I've been the only person doing localization at both Humu and Perceptix. So when I do have, when these questions do come up, it's basically all on me. I don't have other colleagues to bounce ideas off of really, unless I go to, you know, externally find people that, in my network. But so yeah, it is tricky. It is like starting from square one every single time I need to do something. <laughs>
0: and, 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 you know, I'm bringing the question to you because I understand that you worked for Clara before. Yeah. And, and, and now you're working for a software company. So the experience must be very relevant to you because from what you had before and what you have now and you know the shared responsibility before as a team of, of, of you know being part of a localization firm versus now you're standalone or you may have a small team internally helping you
1: yeah it is
0: before and after i guess that's where i'm yeah, yeah. with this where I'm
1: I think having that experience is really helpful because when I do work with people who are at localization companies, I kind of at least have some understanding of what (laughs) what it's like for them. And I think we can speak to each other more quickly. You know, there's not that time to figure out what the other person's talking about.
0: So I appreciate that. So Paula, question for you. And, you know, it's always in my mind. Is there realistic expectations being set out there of what the expectations are from candidates? And what the candidates expect from employers? There's two sides to this coin. The I have you know I've been through some of those conversations where I feel like the employer is expecting the moon from the candidate, and and sorry to put it bluntly, and sometimes the candidate is expecting the moon from the employer as well. What's the middle ground? Is and, and this is where you come in. I'm assuming as a, as a, um, a you know the um, owner of Achievers Group to mediate and and to bring. The this to a conclusion of realistic expectations on both sides. So, has this been successful? What's your experience?
2: Oh my goodness! I've been in this industry for an awful long time, and that has that's been a a problem from time begun. Yes, there are always organizations that want too much for too little, and then there are always individuals that want too little for for too much. Want to give too little for too much. There's always Mm -hmm. been people like that. But yes, the job of a recruiter is to try and encourage the organization and the potential candidates to be realistic about each other. But the truth is, it's more about getting, if you have an organization that is looking for somebody who will fly to the moon, truthfully, there's nearly always people out there who will fly to the moon. So the job of the recruiter is to go and find the people that will fly to the moon. And then on the other hand, we have, as I said, individuals sometimes who their expectations are just unreasonable. Well, sorry, that's my personal observation. And just, you know, I don't know too many organizations. There aren't always a lot of organizations that are able to facilitate that personality. But there are some, you know, there are some who, you know, can facilitate that that personality that goes with that over demanding individual. Because, as long as that over demanding individual can deliver beyond all their colleagues, so those few organizations are actually l- largely happy to get them on board and they handle the over demanding side of it. So, I don't know if I'm trying to, I'm, I'm a bit offense sitting here, but that situation has always existed. And yes, the job that our job at International Achievers is to try and find the best way to try and match the right person with the right culture within an organization. Right. But an of that boils down to building up trust as well and credibility. So if the client, the hiring company knows that you know what you're talking about <laughs> and listens to you and trusts you, that's a little easier for us. And the very same with the job seeker or the candidates.
0: Now, uh, speaking of those hard to find skills or skills that, you know, like as you mentioned, Paula, you know somebody that want you know looking for somebody to fly to the moon and back so there's a trend going on and we've talked to several executives in the in the industry regarding that and one of them is reskilling retooling internally mm-hmm. or externally so basically organization realizes that some organization not all of them and some of them mm-hmm. are further along in the process than others where they realize that we need to do some transformation into our in our organizations to move from you know, the regular, if you will, legacy way of doing business in the localization world to more of a a datafication, if you will, of of, of the business. And which, Matt, you've realized that, and I know you did, because, you know, the initiative, your new initiative has always been based on data versus transactions. Give me a document so I can translate it versus what you're doing right now Mm -hmm. is you know, creating business. Your business is data and, and classification of data, etc. Whatever we do with data. Uh, what in, in that in that aspect? So, what skills would you be looking for versus a localization company in a traditional sense? What they would be looking for, and are they are you finding them? You know, directly, or are you going to be transforming them into what you want them to be?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I don't think it's it's binary. I think that there's a lot of people, meaning that I don't think that there's a one-for-one equivalent with LSPs for staff for a company like mine. Um, but I do think that a lot of people that work at LSPs or a lot of people who have experience with LSPs would be a good fit for a data company. And I think a lot of LSPs over the course of the next three or four years are going to find themselves more and more becoming data companies. And when we talk about ourselves as a data company, we're still doing a lot of the classical things that localization companies do. We're just doing them in new and interesting ways that help increase quality and help save companies money and help use the latest technologies with regard to retool. Throughout my career, I've always been an advocate of 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 retooling inside of a company and 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 helping people learn and and try new positions. And I can think of several situations where we took salespeople and turned them into solutions architects. You know, if they were if they were highly technical salespeople, but they might not have been hitting their numbers, but they were a cultural fit and a good uh, fit for the organization, turning them into solutions architects or account managers and developing those skills has always been something that I've that I've done with when I was leading teams. And I think you're, the last part of your question was will I use a recruiter now uh for some of those hard to fill positions? Absolutely. I think as we grow, I'm lucky enough that for my first few hires, um when I left my last company, I kind of had my a, a vision in my head of who I wanted those people to be. So I think my first few hires I might not necessarily need the help of a recruiter. I might need the help of a recruiter with regard to onboarding and with regard to with regard to some of the legal aspects of hiring people. And I think that there's some value there. But certainly as I fill out some of the higher level positions and some of the the sales positions and some of the ops positions, I would look to a recruiter.
0: Absolutely. And you you bring up a very good point in terms of the in terms of the working with a recruiter, which brings me to the topic of working with a recruiter. I'm sure I'm sure there is a process, which Paula mentioned in the last podcast, but I would like to hear from Sarah. You've worked with a recruiter before, haven't you? You mentioned earlier you, you, you did not work with a recruiter. Am I assuming this is correct? Have you worked with a recruiter or not?
1: I've been a candidate working with a recruiter. I haven't been on the hiring end. Working with a so
0: from a candidate perspective, what was your experience and what would you do otherwise to improve it? If there is an improvement,
1: it was a really positive experience. I felt like it opened more doors than I could have opened myself. You know, they reached out to me about the position and I had not heard of it before, and they were able to provide really good context and some like coaching. So, yeah, I would definitely work with a recruiter again. I, I know that in the past when I've been looking for other jobs, it's really hard to do just there's I feel like whenever there's a new localization job everybody in the localization industry applies for it so it's just really hard to even get that first interview let alone get to the end to get the job so I feel like having a recruiter helps because they you know they've already kind of pre-qualified you kind of have a leg up and have some help and someone to guide you through the process and they can also help just even identify positions that might be better fit instead of just applying for literally everything that you see on LinkedIn
0: (laughs) and so you know, working with a recruiter, you know, one of the direct benefits that uh, as a candidate probably would be looking for is better term of employment. Was the was the recruiter able to help you get better terms of employment?
1: Well, that's a good question. I hadn't really thought about it at the time because at the time I was switching from working on the vendor side to working on the client side, which was a big goal for me, and it seemed like a really big hurdle. And they helped me get that. So I guess I wasn't thinking as much about the terms. I was just excited for that next step.
0: But I would imagine, I mean, Paula, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you would you know, if you have an opportunity to, you know, fight a little harder for your candidate, I'm assuming you will put that you'll put that effort in, trying to yeah. get them whatever terms of employment it is, you know, more benefits, better working environment. I don't know, from your perspective. Can you shed some light on that topic?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's important though as well to to, to recognize that there's a commercial value. That has to always be acknowledged. So, wanting it doesn't always justify it, unfortunately. But, yes, where there is real commercial value and commercial worth to an organization with that individual or any individual joining them, that's what recruiters' job, one of the recruiters' job to do is to highlight that and say, look, this is not the commercial reality for this individual. And so, we need to look again at the terms. So, yes, that's what we do, that's one of the things we do. So, and it's It's important that that's recognized because, and the other thing that I have said to hiring organizations in the past is that, look, if an individual is undervaluing themselves, honestly, are they going to, you need the individuals that are going to value themselves properly commercially. I'm not trying to Mm -hmm. be very overly clinical here because it is all human beings, but you need them to have that outlook and that attitude because you need them to be commercially sensible for your organization. You're about to bring them on board to represent you to the market. So yes, we do.
0: Yeah. Okay. And 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 everybody knows that. I guess hiring somebody it's a big investment, Uh, time, effort, money. You need to have that return on investment, right? So one of the things is I you know I always been reminded of one of my old executive sponsors that I worked with before would tell me that look you know as an employee and employer you can either you know, if you have a, if you think as an employee you have a bad deal, and the employer thinks that they have a bad deal, that's a recipe for disaster. If the employee thinks that they had a bad deal, and the employer thinks that they have a good deal, there may be some room for fixing things, and you fix it normally. If the other way around, if the employer thinks that they have a bad deal, and the employee thinks that they have a good deal, well, that's you know where this is going. So, um, it's good to have. A win-win but not always the case but you always have to work to some sort of a resolution mm. in, in, the, in the in the event in the event of somebody you know gets hired and you know things it's still feeling that way one of the things that I, it's always been in the past few weeks now has been talked a lot about is that AI impact on the recruiting in general and people are looking now for what I think they're looking for is just-in-time skills you know I need the specific skills to do X and you know Either, you know, they're trying to fill a gap that their competitor has already filled or presumably filled, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of misinformation on that topic still, because we're still in the beginning of the, of the technology and the technology, we still impacting us. We, it hasn't settled yet, as you mentioned earlier. So some companies would think, oh, my competitor did X, Y, Z, they hired, you know, a prompt engineer in that does whatever they do. And so I should go and buy and hire myself as several of these individuals. And you know, they're hard to come by, they're not easily available. So there is a lot of that just in time skills being asked for. And I don't know how realistic that is. Is there availability for those skills? Are they out there?
2: And I is it okay, will I jump in here? Please. Um, yes, I agree with what you just said there, that what we now do is part we have introduced a subscription model into our into one of, into our service offering. And obviously, The usual thing with these subscription models is there's different levels of services that are included at each stage. One of the services now included at one of our verticals includes an audit of the hiring company's organization. And I'm lucky enough to personally have skills, and I've also got the, I'm working with other people as well that work with me on this, who are long term people in the industry, um, to actually audit the existing the existing setup in relation to the people that you have on board, and then do a 12, 24, 36 month plan as to what's need needed based on what is happening in, in the industry. So that's one thing that we're now offering to help with that exact problem. So people actually chasing their competitors going, oh my God, but he's after hiring somebody <laughs> that's able to do this, that, and the other. Okay, let's have a quick look at your organisation rather than looking at what your next-door neighbour is doing. You know, what exactly, what are your growth plans? What industry are you looking to go into? What's there, What skills are needed to do that? So let's do an audit. Let's then do a plan for what's needed for 12 months, 24 and 36 months. And honestly, the people that are needed for all those are different people. You may need some people for six months, for 12-month contracts. You may need people that you know are going to take three years to get in up and running. Are you going to hire them now? Are you going to hire them in six months? And that is what we've now included in our service offering so we're trying to try and address that problem.
0: Yeah, and so from a, you know, I the question regarding the, you know, word or these now the remote working, right? So remote versus physical locations. And in Sarah's experience and, and Matt, could you guys weigh in on remote versus in office? What has been your experience?
3: I was on mute. <laughs> Sorry, I was gonna say I could go first. If you want me to Sarah? Go ahead. Okay. I, I've been on both sides of the coin. I started my career really, and this is strange because my first job was was work from home, where it was work out of the office. I, I didn't have an office to work in. And when we worked together, Robin, it was very much uh, a work from home position, even though there was an office in New Jersey. But I've been on both sides of the coin. At Eclair, we had offices, and, I, and part of my contract was working near one of those offices. I've always found is that there's two sides of that coin, also as a manager and as an employee. As a manager, I've always found that I can manage a remote team and I like managing a remote team and I like going out and visiting them and having them come to me and having time with them. As an employee, I can honestly say I like having an office to go into part of the time, like a home base, but I like being a remote employee as well. So it, does, it really wasn't that much of a change for me when we went from when we went from offices to remote. How about you Sarah?
1: Yeah, I was basically 100% remote before the pandemic, and then since the pandemic, I've been 100%. Wait, sorry, did I say? It? I think I said it the wrong. Way. I've been 100% in office before the pandemic, and then since the pandemic, okay. I've been 100% remote. I think localization is maybe an easier job. At least if you're doing localization on the client side and you're kind of an island anyway, it doesn't really matter where the island is. <laughs> so I think it's easier for those jobs to be remote. But also, I mean, a big part of my job is just like kind of tracking people down and and finding them and making them tell me information that I need. And that is easier if you're in an office, you know, you can bump into people. It's easier to form relationships so that they will come talk to you. So it is a little trickier remotely, um, but you can still make it work. You just have to be a little bit more um, deliberate about it. Um, and I think like Matt said, there's pros and cons to both. I think for me too, like a hybrid is kind of nice because it is nice to go in and see people, but it's also nice to not have distractions and be able to get your work done and focus. But yeah, no, also, so many people are around the world that I think remote doesn't really impact that.
0: <laughs> That's right, and in, in, you know, remote working and in, in being ability and have the ability to build remote teams gives the employee and the employer various flexibilities. Currently, your employer, Perceptix, are they in, in in the area where you live in in San Francisco or? Oakland? No, they're
1: not. They're very remote. No one's required to go into an office. There's an office in Southern California and one in Lincoln, Nebraska.
0: Okay. So the company, you know, is, is pretty much remote, I'm assuming. Yeah,
1: yeah. there's a few people, yeah. so, mostly
0: remote. Mostly, mostly remote, which, you know, this is post, uh, post-pandemic, post-COVID. It's becoming the norm now, unless you're physically uh, required to be on site because of the type of the job that you're doing. People are more and more doing, uh, you know, they figured out during the pandemic that we can work remotely and it, the cost-benefit analysis for the businesses is great because they save money on real estate, cost of running, you know, the, the, the real estate that they own, offices, et cetera. So it's much better now financially to have remote worker. And a remote worker have money, it, have a little bit more time for their families. They save my, money on uh, cost of transportation, et cetera. So especially in when you live in a large cosmopolitan areas where large demographics like Toronto and Canada so is home to like three, four million people. Traffic is horrendous. If I was being asked to go to an office, it'd be, yeah, I'll do it, but I'm not going to do it pleasantly. It'd be like two hours to my office one way and two hours back every day. So that's four hour commute. But also the uh, benefit of having remote, I guess, employees and teams, you can put them now in any country of the world, whatever their skills happen to be, you know, expands the radius of the search process from a recruiting perspective. So instead of saying, you know, I had an office in San Francisco, I want the candidate to be within you know, 10 blocks away from, or whatever, within the city limits, so I can get them to the office. Now, it's not that much anymore. If you're working in a knowledge base industry, you can work anywhere remotely. So the candidates that we have locally, they have competitors now across the ocean or across a continent, etc. So it opens the door for the better skills globally. It's more a unifier, I would say. Am I correct, Paula?
2: I, yeah, I agree with that. The only qualification I'll throw into that is I think it works exceptionally well so long as the managers are properly trained. Because if you have people that are living all around the world and the manager is not a strong manager, I, I mean a people manager, oh my lord, it's a, I, this, I'm basing this on candidates that come to us. And if you are somebody that needs to be managed, and that's not. I'm not saying that you're a, you're a, you're not a good worker, but more junior members of staff need actually guidance. So I think that work it works fantastically well, so long as the, there's investment put into the managers being trained how to manage the people, set clear goals, guidelines, expectations what are the triggers for good and bad outcomes (laughs) for the individual so at least the person doesn't get a surprise three months down the road and gets the the magic phone call bye bye you're gone and the person is going i didn't actually even know that was expected of me that's
0: right that's right it's it's absolutely, absolutely correct because when it comes down to you know that element of managing employees regardless of where they are there's a set of expectations that need to be set realistic expectations need to be set and you need to do pulse check once in a while and I'm reminded of that because what my nephew <clears throat> has been a remote worker as a, a coder, as a programmer for a company here in Canada. And uh, I was having a conversation with him while I was on travel last week. He was worried about his first performance review, even though he doesn't he doesn't need to worry about his first performance reviews. He didn't know, you know, the guy just came out of uh, university for his job, first performance reviews, he doesn't know what to expect. And he thinks that he's getting fired. And I'm thinking, like, it's performance review. <laughs> if, if that was the case, you wouldn't be going to a performance review. So there is a, and, and this is, again, being a manager, you know, you need to talk to employees and tell them what they expect in the process, etc. But if you only talk to your employees once a year on performance review, you know, you're going to get the reaction that I got from my nephew. So it's all a great conversation. So in summary, for me, I'm hearing that the the conclusion to, to our conversation is that work with a recruiter, a specialized recruiter to find those hard to find skills, create some assurances in the process. Systematic way of working with a recruiter is great as well. And the I like the model that you've mentioned Paula is that subscription model which is offers, you know, several ways, several flexibilities for the businesses to work with a recruiter from an employee perspective looking for a job or looking to find that great employer that value employee in that right environment where you can able to grow and prosper and build a career working with a recruiter can help quite a bit as well to find you that right match Uh, paula mentioned the matching process and and as well from my perspective for the audience of watching and listening to this podcast it is absolutely of great importance to create that match between an employee and employer to create success in our industry We don't want this industry to create false expectations for both, which leads to failure. Uh, We want to prevent failure. We want to create success environments for everybody to prosper and to grow, employee and employer. And on that note, is there anything around the panel today that you would like us to for the audience to know? We'll go with Sarah first.
1: There's nothing else I can think of to add to all of that. It's been a really interesting conversation.
0: Absolutely. Great, Sarah. Great to have you with me, with us today. Matt, anything you'd like to add?
3: No, I think that was was pretty comprehensive. Paula?
0: The only
2: one other thing, as usual, I want to throw in is (laughs) you asked a question earlier on, Robin, about internal versus external recruiters. And I actually, funnily enough, believe that there's room for both. That's what I believe. I think that at different stages of economic growth within an organization, you probably need somebody close to the wire all day every day yeah. at yeah. certain yeah. stages and then at different stages of the economic growth of the business you need somebody who's out yeah. in the playing field who actually is talking 10 times more than your internal people are to 10 times more people so yeah. i think where the challenges can come is that you don't always organizations don't always identify the right time to use which service for That's the right. best econ to maximize the best economic opportunities for staff that you know potential candidates that are out in the market. So I think mm-hmm. there's room for both. That's my contribution. That's and right. That.
0: It's not an either or. They complement each right. other. You're absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the as as you mentioned earlier, it depends on the business cycle that your company is in or your business is in. You may have different needs at different times of your of your business cycle or a business plan. Some companies do have internal recruiting. And there's, you know, there's a lot of successful one that work internally, there's nothing wrong with that. But also, there is a lot of times when you need that specialized someone to be your eyes or ears to the outside market, have a broader reach, that can get you access to broader types of candidates to be your successful candidate, hopefully, to fill out a position for you. Uh, based based on this one, and, and in conclusion to our conversation today with a uh, any further delay? I know, I know you guys uh, have a commitment at uh, at, in, at the top of the hour, so I won't keep I won't keep this conversation going for too long. But I want to thank you, each and every one of you. Thank you, Paula. Thank you, Matt, and thank you, Sarah, for joining me today on this interesting conversation and an interesting dialogue. Any further thoughts? Uh, we'll go around the block here, Paula.
2: No, I think that's me done for now.
3: Great, excellent, Matt. Anything to add? You're on mute.
1: You're on mute, Matt.
3: I'm good. Thank you, Robin. I pre- appreciate you putting these on. Mm, thank thank you. you. Sarah, any last uh, comments?
1: No, nothing more for me, but thanks for having me. It was great to chat with all of you today.
0: Oh, absolutely. Pleasure meeting you, uh, Sarah. Good to see you, Matt, again. And Paula, welcome to the channel anytime. You have another idea for another interesting discussion. Happy <laughs> to have you guys and happy to have this dialogue one more time. This is interesting time that we're going through as an industry. The localization industry is going through a lot of transformation right now. And we still, the dust hasn't settled on any of it. Decisions has not yet been made on any of the changes that's going on. We'll go through this together. And as we go through this together, it's going to generate a lot of ideas, a lot of interesting conversations. And this channel, this uh, podcast will always be there to take these conversations and bring these conversations to our audience. So thank you again from the bottom of my heart for joining me. I wish you a great afternoon and a great weekend. And thanks. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Localization Fireside Chat. Take the warmth of knowledge and renewed cultural passion with you. Keep exploring. Stay curious. And until next time, this is Robin Ayub. Keep those global conversations alive.